and verse number 10. Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow unto whom it was revealed. That not unto themselves but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost, sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. I promise you that God didn't just give me this vision because He knew this was my text. But He may have just to confirm it to my spirit. But I feel His presence here strongly. And I know His angels are here to minister according to His Word. And for just a few minutes, I want to preach on this thought, the things angels desire to look into. Lord Jesus, this is Your church, not mine. You and Your Word alone can save, deliver, and heal. You know every need, every struggle, every issue. And Your Word is both anointed and appointed for this moment. So on the authority of your word and your name, Jesus, and by the blood of the Lamb, I bind every hindrance and I loose your spirit to have free and full reign in this place. For without you, we are nothing. So let there be a demonstration of your spirit and power. Confirm your word with signs following. Let me walk in your spirit and not my flesh. Let me say only that which you want your people to hear. And let it be for your glory. And everyone said in Jesus' name. You may be seated. Hallelujah. Sister Jackie Ramos is with us. Jackie, wave your hand back there. This is her last Sunday. She's uh, moving to El Paso area, back to Texas with her family. We're so glad God brought her here for a season. We wish God would let her stay here longer. Amen. I'm trying to convince her that El Paso is Omaha. She heard wrong. It's not El Paso. It's Omaha. You know, not, you know, anyway, it ain't working, but I'm trying. But no, we love you, Sister Jackie, and believe God's going to do great things. She came on a Friday night that Sister Vicki Vernon was here teaching a, a seminar. She was sitting right over there, and God filled her with the Holy Ghost in that seminar. And she just dove in the deep end of the Holy Ghost and got involved. And uh, we're so grateful that she has been a part. I know the Sunday school children's team is going to miss her. Amen. And uh, that they love her so much. Amen. All the kids are going to miss her too. But we love you, Jackie. I've told her this is always going to be home. So she knows that, and she's going to come back. She's going to go to El Paso for like two weeks and then live in Omaha for 50. So, amen. Something like that. I I can't remember how it all worked out, but anyway. The phrase from the Scripture, the last phrase of verse 12, which things the angels desire to look into, is literally translated, the things into which the angels have a burning desire to look carefully. There's a burning desire within God's holy angels to look into things that are written in these verses. His holy angels are watching the unfolding plan of salvation with passionate curiosity. 
This is why the Bible says in Luke 15, 10 that there's joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repents. It's Pastor Trevor was preaching this morning, and whether it's here or Seward or whether it's El, El Salvador or whether it's Antarctica somewhere, when one person is born again, even the angels are rejoicing in heaven. That's why Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 4, 9 and said that we the saints, the church, are made a spectacle unto the world and to angels. That phrase, made a spectacle, refers in part to God's unfolding plan of redemption being displayed before the angels as they watch and witness it happen across time and across continents and across cultures. I would imagine that every time God opens a portal, i.e. Jacob's ladder, that, that staircase where angels descend and ascend, what that is when that happens is God opening a portal for the angels to enter into our world and to deliver his messages and to minister on behalf of the heirs of salvation and or to fight for the heirs of salvation. I can imagine they descend that staircase staircase uh, with great joy to deliver a message for God. I can imagine they go back to the throne of grace uh, waiting upon their next assignment of what God would do. In fact, the Bible says in Psalm 103, 19 through 22, the Lord has prepared his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, you his angels that excel in strength that do His commandments, hearkening unto the voice of His Word. Notice they hearken. They want to do it. They long for it. They can't wait to deliver a message because they desire to look in to the things, those things being God's plan of salvation. We know that angels worship the Lord day and night, crying holy, holy, holy unto the Lord. Isaiah saw this in chapter 6. John saw it in Revelation 5 and 7. So should we. Then, the saints of the Most High God worship God any less? Should we, the recipients of His grace and His mercy, desire Him less? Since the text that I read to you declares that prophets inquired about it, that patriarchs searched for it, that they considered themselves to be pilgrims on the earth, and psalmists wrote and sang about it, should we seek any less diligently for the things of God? Just because we've seen it, just because the fulfillment has happened, doesn't mean we should give any less. I'm concerned for the American church. Come on, I'm off my notes already. I'm concerned for this comfortability. We've got air conditioning. We've got nice seats. We've got fancy cars. and We've got food to eat. We've got all this stuff. I'm concerned that we become a little too comfortable. Well, if I don't get it today, I'll come back to the concert tonight. If I don't get something then, I'll come Wednesday. If I don't get it then, I'll go to Nebraska Conference. We're so enwrapped in, in, in into this mindset. What if today is your last day? When angels desire to look into this, they want it. They're passionate about it. They're curious about it. Every time something happens, they're awaiting to see what it's going to be. Long before any one of you clapped your hands and shouted glory when Amari was baptized and spoke in tongues, angels were already rejoicing. They were on the edge of their seats. It's about to, there she goes. Woo! They're already glorying God. 
Should we desire and worship Him? Should we act any less? No. Jesus taught in parables, and He explained that those who rejected Him had eyes, but they couldn't see, ears, but they couldn't hear, and the reason was they had hardened their hearts against God. They would rather serve their religion than to have a relationship with God. But Jesus did say that those who would repent and experience his new birth, listen to what he said of them, Matthew 13. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For verily I say unto you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see those things which you see. This is Jesus talking. He is the fulfillment. He said, I didn't come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill it. That's why Romans 10 verse 4, for Christ is the end of the law. Right? To everyone that believes, the complete Jewish Bible, that word end means aim. It actually means for the goal at which the Torah aimed was Christ. From Genesis 1 through Malachi 4, it's pointing to Christ. That means from everything from that, Matthew, his birth, Mark, Luke, John, everything from that stems from Christ, making Christ the axis upon which the Word of God spins. And so prophets desired it. They could only see through a glass darkly. They could only see in part and know a little bit in part. They could only prophesy a few things. And oftentimes, God would let them prophesy, and they would want to know more about it. And he would say, close the book up. It's not for your time. And yet they kept searching for it diligently. They kept longing for it. They kept dying for it. So God forbid that we who have experienced it give any less. Let me say it to you this way from the word of the Lord. Hebrews chapter 2. Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard. Lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by them that heard him? Now he's talking about present tense, those that were the, the apostles that were with him, the disciples that followed him, and then they preached on the day of Pentecost. God bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders and diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. In other words, the prophets saw it. They longed for it. They wanted it. They couldn't have it. It wasn't their time. We have it. Let's take heed. Not to neglect it. Not to act flippant about it. Not to treat it with disregard. If you're here today and you're not born again of the water and spirit, please don't wait. Repent today. You're not going to interrupt me if you come up and, and say, I want to pray right now. I promise you, I can preach this next week, okay? I can preach it next, next time. If you want the Holy Ghost right now, God wants to give it to you right now. If you, if you need to be baptized, wave your hand and, and, and we'll get somebody going on it. I mean, come on. I can keep preaching while you're getting baptized. Hear me out. Don't delay. This is a beautiful thing. This is things angels desire to look into. Hallelujah. 
We know the prophets inquired about it. This is what verses 10 and 11 from 1 Peter 1 is telling us. They inquired. They searched diligently. They prophesied about God's grace to come. Let me just run through a few real quick uh, just, to, just to whet your appetite. You can, you can dig in even yourself deeper. But Moses in Deuteronomy prophesies of Jesus calling him the prophet. Saying that he would uh, circumcise the foreskin of our hearts. Uh, that's why Paul in Colossians called the new birth the circumcision of the heart. Direct prophecy of Jesus. That's why they asked John about, are you that prophet? No, I ain't, but I know who is. <laughs> Isaiah prophesied the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus when he said, come now, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. And though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Jeremiah in chapter 31 prophesied the new covenant, calling it the new covenant, talking about how that God was going to put a new heart and a new spirit within us, which is the same thing Ezekiel prophesied in chapter 36 and then showed us the parallel in 37 about the valley of dry bones, that when the word is spoken, bones begin to come together. And when the word is spoken, the wind begins to blow. Can I tell you, if your life is messed up today, if your life is scattered today, I've come to prophesy the word of the Lord oh ye dead bones you dry bones you're going to live again hallelujah and if you're standing upright I've come to prophesy to the wind blow in the valley today hallelujah Zechariah prophesied calling Jesus the branch and the stone that would remove iniquity in one day but wait there's more, and this ain't a cheap sales pitch. There's a whole lot more. Abel's more excellent sacrifice of a lamb pointed to the supreme sacrifice, the lamb Christ Jesus. Noah's ark had a single door pointing to the fact that Jesus is the only way to be saved, the door of the sheep. Isaac's willingness to walk up the mountain, by the way, the exact same mountain that Jesus walked up carrying the wood, Isaac the wood, Jesus the cross, Isaac a willing sacrifice Jesus a willing sacrifice that's why Jesus could say in John chapter 8 Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and was glad David had a front row seat to, prophetically to, the, to Calvary as he detailed 19 specific and explicit prophecies that took place on Calvary. Isaiah had a front row seat prophetically as he wrote the 53rd chapter of Isaiah completely detailing that experience of Calvary. These are just a handful of prophecies. These prophets inquired. They longed for it. They desired it. One of my favorite is Daniel, who in chapter 9 sees it. He sees that this one will come. I didn't give you those scriptures, but you can find it real quick. It's Daniel 9. Hallelujah. I feel the Holy Ghost. I want to share you this. Because I want to show you something with Daniel here in a minute. Daniel chapter 9. And let's go to uh, verse 24. It says 70 weeks to determine upon your people, your holy city, to watch this. Finish the transgression. Make an end of sin. Sound like Christ? Make reconciliation for iniquity. Bring in everlasting righteousness. Seal up the vision and prophecy and anoint the most holy. Sounds like something Jesus did. Uh -huh. 
and it was. But if you go to the end of, the, of, of, of Daniel chapter 12, he's wanting to know about all these rest of these prophecies. God showed him some stuff about the end times that even happened yet, haven't even started really to happen yet. And, and he says, God, I want to know. And God says, no, shut up the book. Seal it up. It's not for your time. Oh, but when he starts revealing to John, he says, oh, no, 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 no. Reveal it. Speak it. The only thing we don't know about are the seven thunders. Everything else, he, he reveals it. Everything else, he speaks it. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ, not the hiding or not the concealing. It's the revealing of Jesus Christ. That entire book with its 22 chapters, the book is open. Can I prophesy over Omaha? Can I prophesy over Norfolk today? Can I prophesy over Nebraska City today that the book is open? Can I prophesy over Blair today? The book is is open. Glory. Here's the point. More humbling than all those prophecies. About 400, by the way. More humbling is that Jesus fulfilled all of them. Not most. Not 99.9% all. Making it possible that whosoever will can experience Salvation. So can you imagine the angels who are looking into the service today, who are looking upon the people we've taught Bible studies to and witnessed to, and just can you imagine their desire to want to go down to them and say, uh, do you really understand what's being taught to you? Do you really know what's being said? Do you really understand this is about eternity? I can imagine these angels are just, please, Jesus, let me go this time. Come on, God, let, let me go. And God's like, no, no, it, it's, it's got to be their free will. Angels are desiring this, and yet some people are just nonchalantly, yeah, whatever. Wow, God, help us. Here's the point. Salvation is so great, so marvelous, so beautiful that God feels his word. From Genesis to Malachi, prophesying his coming, his first. Sin separates us from God, but he becomes flesh so that we can become his righteousness. And so since it's that beautiful to God, since it's that important to God, let's not shrug it off. Since prophets and patriarchs and pilgrims and psalmists all long for it and angels want to look into it, and since the entirety of the Old Testament prophesies the birth, life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, even prophesies his second coming, let's, let's look at it like the two parables Jesus told about priceless treasure. The one about the pearl of great price where the man sold everything to buy that pearl. Can we sell everything and be sold out to Jesus? Can I say it this way and just get a little personal with you? Can we start having the mindset... That instead of I do things in place of church, that God and his church and his kingdom come first. And if I have time, I'll do things over here. Hmm. I just, I just feel to get a little pastoral for a minute. So, seeing as I'm the pastor, I'm going to get pastoral. I remember when I was in high school, I was in drama, I was in key club, I was in, yeah, funny drama, right? Yeah, that's, yeah, no wonder, right? Love to act. Still do sometimes, you know. I was in band, played the alto sax, not as good as Pastor Jeremy, but I played. I was second chair. 
He probably had been first year, you know. But I remember one time, a band teacher said, uh, we're going to be doing a special concert on this Friday night. And I said, okay. But I had a commitment to God that if, if there was ever church, church came first. Well, pastor called me and says, hey, they want you to be at the youth rally. And they've asked a couple young people to get up, and, and you're one of them who's going to just give a, a testimony. And uh, they, they need you to be there Friday night. I'm like, oh, okay. And then, I'm, then all of a sudden, I'm like, uh-oh, uh, I've got a band concert. And I said yes to that, but I, I made a commitment to God. And so I went to Mr. Barry, my band teacher, and I said, um, Mr. Barry, I said, uh, sorry to do this, but I'm, I've been asked to testify, and I made a commitment to God that he comes first, and so I'm going to be at that rally. And he said, well, if you, if you go, I'll, I'll flunk you. Now, it wouldn't have affected whether or not I graduated, but it would have affected my GPA. And, and I kind of, it's hard to believe I was, could be cocky sometimes, but um, I got a little arrogant, and I'm like, well, okay, I'll take a lower grade then. And I walked out of his office. And I, I went, and I preached, and did my testimony, and whatever. Monday morning, I go back into class, and after, after band, Mr. Berry says, um, Byron, I need to talk to you. I'm like, oh boy, here it comes. He's not just going to flunk me, he's going to do something else, and I'm going to be in trouble, and knock my water over like that, you know. And so I'm like, okay, all right, well, let's see what happened. So I go in, and, and after class, he says, I don't know how to tell you this. He says, I've never seen anybody stand up for God like you. And I said, okay. I said, and? I'm waiting for the punchline here. You know, still going to flunk you or something. And he says, I, I, I can't give you a lower grade. He says, I want to, but I can't. He says, I, I wish more people had your same tenacity to stand up for God. My own principle, I'll never forget one time, I was, I was in the library, had my Bible in the library reading, and uh, the, the librarian comes over and says, you can't read that here. I'm like, really? I, I can't? Why? Well, it's a Bible. I said, oh, really? I grabbed my Bible like this. Now, if you walk out of the library, you go out in the little hall, and there was a stair up to uh, the principal's office, Chad Elifritz, Mr. Elifritz. Um, and so I, I walked in, Passed the secretary. She goes, what are you doing? I said, never mind. Pushed his door open, went like this with my Bible, and I said, listen, if kids are going to have sex under the bleachers, if they're going to sell drugs, if they're going to cuss and swear, I'm going to read my Bible here. And he said, yes, sir, you are, Myron. I said, and furthermore, Mr. Elifritz, this is a public building. I want to use the gym in the mornings for prayer. Okay, you can. I said, thank you. I'm not telling you that to brag about Myron. What I'm telling you is God comes first in my life. What I'm telling you is other things are going to take, I, I'm going to do other things too, but, but they're secondary. God comes first. Angels desire to look into this. Prophets prophesied about it. Many of them died prophesying about it. Do you think I'm going to handle this with any less care? Do you think I'm going to act nonchalant? You're nuts if you think that. No, sir. No, ma'am. This thing is way too precious to me. This thing called salvation, this thing called holiness, this thing called truth is way too precious for me to just be nonchalant about and be casual about. It's a priceless treasure. I'm going to sell everything I have and buy it. I'm going to be like the man who doesn't own the field but has found some treasure and sells everything to buy the field so I can have the treasure. It's worth it. It's worth it. Why? Because it's eternity. 
God's grace should never be taken for granted. But I fear that's what the church has done all too often. We sing our songs. We have beautiful music. We give our money. We fellowship. We have meetings and groups. and We check all the boxes and we feel good. And, and God moves and praise God for it. But is it just a to-do list? Or is it something we love? Is it something we cherish? Is it something we can't live without? These prophets reached for it, searched for it. Read Hebrews 11. They considered themselves to be pilgrims. They confessed that they were pilgrims on the earth. They left everything behind. And when God spoke, they just started following. Fishermen left their nets. Tax collectors left their booth. Others left their careers. Why? Because God called. I'm not telling you we turn this into a commune. That's not the point. I think you know that. My point is this. Is God first in your life? Is God first in your marriage? Is God first in your money? Is God first in everything? If he's not, then you need to repent today. Angels desire this. Now think about that for a minute. Angels who are in the presence of God always desire and want to look into what we have. Because they know when the anointing gets flowing. They know when His gifts start operating. Oh, that's His church. That's His prized possession. That's His prized creation. And did you know that this salvation was in the mind and heart of God before Genesis 1-1? Let me prove it to you. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. According as He has chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world. In 2 Timothy it says that His salvation was before the world began. In 1 Peter 1, 19-20, it talks about the precious blood of Christ that was foreordained before the foundation of the world. So before He said, let there be light, He was already a Savior. That means before a devil could tempt Adam and Eve to sin, there was already a plan of salvation. Wait a minute, wait a minute. That means before Cain killed an Abel, there was already a Seth going to be raised up. Come on, somebody. The devil ain't, ain't got the upper hand on God. He's just a pawn on God's chessboard. Mmm. Before there was a serpent, he was a savior. Before he said, let there be light, he was a savior. I want you to think about that for a minute. I want you just to, I'm going I'm to slow down and I want you to really process that with me. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Thank you, Adam. I appreciate that. We know shame. We know guilt. We know fear. We know hopelessness. We know despair. We know despondency. We know vulgarity. We know immorality. We know all these things because of that sin. And Pastor Trevor, God knew it too. And before He created this beautiful earth, and it was perfect and it was good, before He said, let there be light, He's like, they're going to mess up. What I'm going to do is step out of time 
into time. And I'm going to redeem them. Before Eve bit the fruit. Before she handed it to her husband and he, it, he was already the man Christ Jesus. The mediator between God and man. That's how beautiful. And so you can imagine angels. They probably didn't know the mind of God at that point. But as he starts creating, let there be light. And they're watching and the light just goes everywhere. Like, wow. They're like, man, God is pretty cool. Right? Let the dry land come from the waters of the earth. And all of a sudden, here comes continents. And they're like, wow. His word is with power. Exactly. I got some helpers over here going. Watch this. He fouls of the air. He speaks to the atmosphere, speaks to, and as he's speaking, fowls of the air, all the birds, small, large, big, beautiful, ugly, just all just came. Fish of the sea, and everything from little minnows to 23-ton humpback whales, his word became them. Beasts of the field come, and from the dust of the earth, all of a sudden, here comes all the beasts, the little squirrels, and I hope we don't have any more in this church. Amen. <laughs> Running. Hallelujah. We've caught three. One of them was in the church the other day. Thank God I got him out before church started. Hallelujah. It would have been an Omaha squirrel revival. Amen. <laughs> but from little squirrels and even smaller, all the way up to bison and other big animals. <laughs> and the angels are watching all this. Let, let the earth produced the trees and, and, and just all of a sudden here comes oaks and maples and you know all, all these trees and they're watching this and then they're seeing all this beauty and grandeur and, and they watch God do something like this God what you doing making man my image. Yeah, it kind of looks like you. Yeah, I know. Handsome. What's those two holes? That's his nostrils. Watch this. And that pile of dirt suddenly takes on form. Skin, muscle, bone, tissue, and a living soul. And I can imagine maybe Michael or Gabriel, the Two chief archangels, you know, uh, God, you did something different here. You, you gave him a living soul. You, you gave him will. I know. Well, what if he doesn't choose you? Some won't. Well, what then? Well, I'm still going to love him. Well, what if they reject you? I know it's going to hurt, but I'm going to love him. But why did you give them will? Because I want them to choose me because they want to. But what if they mess everything up? They will. And angels are amazed. 
I, mean, I can imagine when about 4 B.C. on our calendar happens and angels all sit and see God begin to move and reaches down and he touches the womb of Mary. Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary, right? God, what are you doing? I'm going to become man. Why? Well, remember all the mess they've made? I'm going to redeem them and give them hope. I'm going to be the last Adam. Angels want to be in that. You know what we do sometimes? Is he done yet? Because I'm hungry. I'm not saying that to want to preach longer. I'm not saying that to say we got to stay here till 4 o'clock and prove something to God. What I'm saying is sometimes we get so nonchalant with living for God. When was the last time we read our Bible? Let me ask it this way. When was the last time you let the Bible read you? Angels desire this. Prophets and patriarchs long for it and search for it. I believe they're a part of that great cloud of witness that Hebrews 12 talks about. And if they are willing to die for it, give up everything for it. And I imagine angels, if they could, would trade places with us to be a part of it. How much more should we long for these things? You see, here's what I believe God is done. What's so amazing about His grace is that it was not an afterthought. God didn't sit up here and go, oh no, what am I going to do? Adam and Eve have eaten the fruit. Oh no, Cain killed Abel, what am I going to do? God didn't do that. Grace was already His plan. When He looked down and repented that He made man, He knew there was going to be a Noah saying, oh God, if you're really real, build me an ark then. I know all living flesh died, but God gave a plan of salvation. God gave an ark because grace is not an afterthought. It was His plan from before the beginning. Some of us have looked back, most of us, maybe all of us, have looked back at our past and have become disheartened by the disappointments of our failures and sin and all. But the next time you do, I ask you to look further back than your life, further back than the Bible. Look to the beginning of time when before you made a mistake, God already had grace available. If you've ever wondered about that verse, that there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, I've already given you the image a couple of times. It's this. You see, that vertical beam satisfied the judgment of God. Something had to die for us to live. And that principle was set in the garden. Because all they put on was fig leaves. And I don't mean to be crude, but it didn't cover a whole lot. You might get arrested today if that's all you're in for indecent exposure. Just, just saying. That, you see, that's man's attempt to cover our sin. You know? It, it, it'd be like me saying, okay, I'm going to go hide from God. As if, right? Ain't possible, is it? By the way, when God says, where are you? It's not geographical. It's spiritual. <laughs> but if you finish to chapter 3, you'll find 
that now before he kicked them out of the garden, he made them coats of skin. Those coats had to come from an animal. That animal had to die to give up its skin. Something had to, oh, I wish you would hear what I'm saying. Grace was not an afterthought. Something had to die for them to live. And so the man Christ Jesus said, I'm going to be the mediator. I'm going to satisfy the judgment of God. And the horizontal beam is the bridge that we walk from our sin and our shame and our guilt and our fear over the beam into the presence of a holy God. Grace was never an afterthought. And angels desire this. Your first birth gave you DNA, but your second birth gives you spiritual heritage. And that heritage existed before the world. You see, before sin could mar and mess you up, God had already created the miracle of His mercy to transform you back into His likeness. That's why grace is so amazing. Angels desire the unsearchable riches of Christ. We should too. I told you this morning I saw those angels covering TCOO. That same image is seen on the mercy seat where angels' wings are touching and their faces are looking downward upon the mercy seat. One this way and one facing the other. Does that make sense? If you've ever seen a replica of it, you know what I'm talking about. That's what God has done. And angels, that means we are the Ark of the Covenant in His Holy of Holies. That's why we can feel the presence of God in our living rooms. That's why we can feel the presence of God at conferences and different things. That's why we can feel the presence of God anywhere we go because He dwells in us. If you've got a set of keys in your pocket like this or your purse, I want you just to grab them for a minute. A few weeks back, I began to speak about keys. I had a box that was supposed to arrive today. I got back. I needed to take a nap because I was tired from my daughter's graduation. And so I didn't come to the church and FedEx didn't leave them. They just left a little sticker saying they missed me. Well, if I missed you too. I want my box. I was going to give all of you a key, so I'll have to give it to you next week on Mother's Day or the week after that. But anyway, <clears throat> your keys, right? They provide you access. They provide you authority. Here's what the Lord spoke to me with all that, that I'm preaching today. And I know this seems maybe somewhat disjointed, but there's, there's a connection in the spirit. I know you're feeling it. God is wanting this shift, part of this shift that we're in, for us to move from the mindset that I, I have to wait to get to church to experience something. To realizing I am the church. We need to come together. You heard Pastor Trevor's message. We need one another, and we need the collective body of Christ because we can't do it alone. But there are some things that we can start unlocking in our own lives if we'll just use the keys. Now, Sister Dana, 
Do you know what any of those keys mean? No? Well, let me explain. This red one here, it's kind of faded. It says Huskers on it. That opens up my study. Okay? This one here is a master key to the church. Opens up any exterior door. This one here is the key to a pastor's church in um, Ogallala. Asked me to hold it. Didn't know I was preaching this. Didn't know God was dealing me about this and said, I want to give you this key. I want you to pray for my church. And if you're ever out this way and I'm not here, go ahead and come on in and pray. Now that you know that, if you were to use this key and open up the church and use this key to go in my study, did you know in my top drawer there's a key to every room in this building? You do now. <laughs> you see, this is what God is doing today. He's not just going to put keys in your hands, Avery, and say, here, good luck. Go figure them out. Go try every door. No, God is going to be specific and say, this one goes to that door. This one unlocks that. And if you'll open this drawer, there's more keys to open other doors. Come on, somebody. You know what I'm saying in the Holy Ghost right now. God has opened up a portal over the church of Omaha. It's a shift, not a season. It's permanent, not temporal. Those angels that I saw here are waiting so that they can go with you. And your apartment and your home and your neighborhood, your job, your school can become that portal where the presence of God is. You see, we live in a dark world and it would be real easy to start talking about how dark the world is. And it'd be real easy to start complaining about how sinful the world is. But God is saying, I've given you keys today to unlock some light because light dissipates darkness. I've called you today to open some I've called you today Paul and Silas to sing praises at midnight because chains are going to fall. Chains of darkness are going to fall. Praise team, come and get ready to sing that song. Listen to me. Here's what God is doing. You might feel imprisoned. You might feel like there's no hope. But if you'll start praising God where you are, if you'll start worshiping where you are, God's not only going to free you from your prison, but he's going to free others. Prison doors for drug addicts are going to open. Prison doors for homosexuals are going to open. Prison doors are going to open for people bound to pornography. Prison doors are going to open for alcoholics. Prison doors are going to open for all kinds of sin. And God's going to save. And God's going to heal. And God's going to deliver through you, through your hands, through your faith. I feel that in the Holy Ghost. Come on, these keys are in your hand. You ha- Hear me. You have the permission of the king. So you obviously have my permission to start activating your access. God will keep it in order. That's why we have a five-fold ministry. But if you'll start stepping out, who knows what God's going to do. Ma, I'm sorry you fell at the airport. And Delta, if you're listening, you better do something about it. Because God's going to get them if they don't. But this woman said to me when I took her to the eye doctor Monday, 
we, she witnessed to a nurse there, and Jamie is a, is, was witnessed to by her. And, and she said, Myron, if, if I had to fall to share the gospel, so be it. I'm like, man, what an attitude. Instead of being angry and upset, and she's been in some pain. She's cried some tears. Her two daughters are angry at what's happened. Her family's angry at, at, at what happened. But, but her, it's like, yeah, God will take care of it. Delta will take care of it. It'll all work out. But there's two people I can witness to. You know what she did? She reached in and grabbed some keys and said, I'm going to unlock some things. JB, you're not here on accident. You're here on purpose today. God is unlocking some things. Come on. Joey, when you spoke that a few weeks ago, you didn't know what you were saying. God had already dealt with me about this. God used this man to confirm me. And what did you say about keys? You said God's going to take them from my hand and put them in others' hands. Is that what you said? Come on now. And that's what God is doing today. God is saying the keys are in your hands. It's time to unlock them in your door, in your home. I don't live in your neighborhood, but you do. So how many is willing today? If angels desire this, if prophets long for it, if patriarchs searched for it, how many is willing to say, I'll give my all for it. I'll put the key in the door. Do I have one? Do I have two? As they begin to sing, here's how I want us to pray today. God, give me the faith and the courage to step up and step out. Okay? And then, if your family's here with you, I want you to first start with your family. That's easy. That's, that's, that's a good way to, to get your feet wet. Pray for them. And if God gives you a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge, let it flow. We don't have to force the gifts. They're given to the church freely. But then, as you begin to pray, and if you look over and you see another brother or sister, and you feel something in your spirit, go and pray for them. And if you're nervous, here's a good way to start. Sister Courtney, I just feel like the Lord wants me to come pray for you, right? I may not know yet what God wants, but I saw her, right? And I'm, I'm typically, and I'm telling you what I do sometimes. I've been doing this all my life, but but sometimes I'm, I'm still nervous about it because I don't want to get it wrong. I want to be right with God. You hear me pray every time I preach, Lord, let me walk in your spirit, not my flesh. And so I'll start with word, the Bible says. And when I do that, God begins to open. And it's not the full thing, but it's enough to start opening that vein. Am I making sense, everybody? I'm not trying to be ooky-booky, crazy, weird. I'm trying to tell you, angels are looking in on this today. God's looking in on this today. And you have the keys in your hand if you'll use them. So let's pray right now. Jesus, I pray for everyone to have the courage and the faith to both step up and step out. I pray that since patriarchs and prophets and pilgrims and psalmists long for this, that we would search diligently and long for it as well. Since angels desire to look into it, we ourselves would walk into it and recognize it and appreciate it and treasure it, oh God. And I pray as we step out in faith and pray one for another that you would begin to use us for your glory. Praise team as they begin to sing. Come on, I want you to start praying. If your spouse or children are here, pray for them. If your mom and dad are here, pray for them. Come on.